Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, are you ready to add a sprinkle of joy to your day? Then you need to check out Add to Cart. Hi, I'm Sujan Pak. And I'm Kulap Vilaisak. We're your hosts, and on this show, we talk about the things we buy, the things we buy into, and what it says about who we are. That's right. Each week, we're going to have some honest and maybe, you know, little TMI conversations about all the fabulous, weird, wonderful things we're adding to or ditching from our carts. You know, we talk about beauty products, latest health trends, philosophies we're passionate about. Nothing is off limits on this podcast. We're diving deep into everything we and our guests buy into and exploring what it reveals about who we truly are. We're going to decide what's worth the investment, be it money or emotions. Add to Cart from Lemonada Media has new episodes out on Tuesdays, wherever you get your podcasts. Lemonada. I'm Oha Lopez, and this is I'm Sorry, a podcast about apologies. And this week, I tried to impress a teenager that I had to babysit um, for an afternoon, and it did not go well for me. Teenagers scare me. Yeah. I wanted to be so cool, so bad, and it did not work. Well, I'm Mohanad al-Sheikhi, and this week, I uh, I was traveling, so I went to uh, LaGuardia, which I am convinced that is a social experiment to see how we behave in spaces like this <laughs> that place is not is not real it's it's like a you know like the truman show kind of thing like someone is watching and i'm kiki monique and this week tom's house was broken into and he confronted the burglar and then he had to go have eye surgery and then my son had to go over and help and then my son he rolled his car five times on the way home so yeah <laughs> i'm under a lot of stress <laughs> This is what we're calling, by the way, if you didn't know this, this is the new Rick rolling. I like to call it the Erica rolling because you I, I don't even I don't even know if you guys watch Bravo, but I feel like everyone knows this phrase either through watching TikTok or some reason as like the funniest moment in Real Housewives history. I've seen it in <laughs> online, but I don't know what the origin of it is. Well, it's like it became really popular because of this like season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which we would be remiss not to talk about this. I'm sorry, because this is essentially like I feel like the biggest thing happening in pop culture right now because it's transcended reality TV watchers. Like I'll be watching like daytime shows, late night talk shows, like radio hosts, like everyone is talking about Erica Jane. And the craziest part is, is that this case doesn't really even involve her. She's obviously not a lawyer. She's a D-list 
wannabe music star, pop star, <laughs> who ended up on a reality show who happens to be married to probably the most famous attorney. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen Aaron Brockovich, right? You know the whole case with that. Tom Girardi is like the attorney that really settled this huge lawsuit of like contaminated water in like, you know, the early 2000s. And he married Erica Jane. It was like his third wife. You know, she's like, I don't know, something like 35 years younger. He was born in like 1939. She was born in 1971. So I don't know what the age difference is, but it's big. And we, you know, in the last year, you know, she's been living this like high profile life of uh, $40,000 a month glam teams, you know, these two private jets. She used to brag about her two private jets, one for more regional and one for, you know, Europe and longer. (laughs) Well, the reason that she gets cast on Real Housewives is because of who she is as a person and what her husband does. Like the whole, the whole reason she's popular at all is, is because she's that kind of person, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she... She was my favorite one when she started because she was unlike the other housewives. Like, yeah, she was still blonde and looked like a Barbie. But like, you know, she had a gay squad of men who were like, you know, pretty much everything I wanted in life is like a bunch of gay men who were taking care of me, <laughs> dressing me up, makeup, um, throwing me on stage, doing choreography with me. You know, she was living a life for other reasons that I just very much envied. <laughs> I, I did watch her music video this morning, the uh, expensive one. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm being generous calling it a music video. Uh, it, there was, I mean, it was a video. I'm uh, not sure about the music part. You should uh, you should go back. There's a video. I think it's Roller Coaster. I would... I would suggest watching it. I'm just okay. saying, if you if you're okay. look, I I love cheese and camp, and so I easily just like am amused by these things. Yeah, and that's to yeah. me what Erica Jane represented was just like all that cheese and camp, um, and that's why she made a fun housewife. I mean, look, I went to her concert. I'm not saying they weren't giving the tickets away because nobody was showing up, and that's why I went. I, that may have been the reason <laughs> I showed up, but, <laughs> but it was still a fun concert nonetheless. But yeah, I mean. This season, she's now getting a divorce from Tom after Mm. 20 years. And now it's all coming out that he's been stealing from his clients for all this time. Like, this was the lawyer that was, like, fighting for the little guy, right? He was going up against, like, huge entities, huge corporations, like Lockheed, PG&E, which is a utility company, you know, California, MTA, um, the seven major Hollywood studios. And he has won all of these cases. And so that's really how he built his career. And then in um, another part of California, I can't remember the name of the town, there was contamination in the water. And that's how the Aaron Brockovich movie was essentially born. Tom came in as the attorney that settled for this town. It was like, you know, the whole town he settled for something like 400 $60 million for 650 residents he won, which was the largest settlement ever at this time, and then turned into this, you know, huge Hollywood movie with Julia Roberts. So that was how it really got the attention. And he, at that moment, became L.A. attorney, celebrity attorney. I mean, I I saw reading, uh, I was reading his, like, background, and he got his J.D., in like 1964 and then he got his master's of law in like 1965 and by 1970 he had won the first you know million dollar plus 
uh, lawsuit for medical malpractice ever in the state of California. Yeah. Five years, just five years. Like, that's someone you know is headed for superstardom. Yeah. He's basically, like, creating this high-powered kind of malpractice or or suit system, which is interesting because now we know there's many billionaires in the United States specifically from, like, malpractice suits. But, yeah, up until the Aaron Brockovich movie, I had never really – I didn't know what it was to do like a like a class lawsuit. Like I didn't understand that a bunch of people got together and all sued under the same attorney. So that's wild that he's kind of the first one. It's funny because I know about these things from uh, not from the movie or anything else. It's from Better Call Saul. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> yeah, because the, I mean, it's it's the same thing. He's like literally just, you know, like an attorney like for the small guy and like he's leading this like, uh, like action, like lawsuit against this uh i don't know what's called the house where you you have elderly people stay there oh like an old folks home old fo- yeah yeah, yeah. And i mean i'm sure like, there's a retirement home yeah <laughs> yeah he was suing them and it's uh, so I, when i was reading this case about this this guy tom i was just like oh wow this is like a very like high stake uh better call saul especially the thing about the uh the flip phone yes he only had a flip phone and that's the the other thing with the better call saul because they only use flip phones and Literally, once they're done with whatever thing they're working on, which is mostly illegal stuff, they would just like break it and they get to the other flip phone. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And all because, well, Better Call Saul was doing shady stuff. So that should have been people's first indication <laughs> that Tom was up to no good. Because- if you see a man with a flip phone, walk away, mistrust. Find yeah. Because, uh-uh. There's no... um. There's no evidence being left in these. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. I'm learning life lessons here. Where do you even buy it? Like, where do you get a flip phone today? I, I wouldn't know where to pick one up in order to be shady. A museum. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but like the fact that he's being shady, you know, Tom Girardi's being shady, not only in his law firm advice, he used that flip phone to also uh, have an inappropriate sexting relationship with um, a judge. Oh, Okay. That oh Eric, my God! That Erica, then you know she. Uh, I don't know how. I guess she took pictures with her phone of this, you know, flip phone. All the screenshots with um, messages that had to be created by T nine, and posted them on the internet to expose him as a cheater. So people, when she filed for divorce, she was like, "This is why I'm divorcing." He's been doing this, and and yeah, put this judge on blast. But even he was. He was sexting on it on a, on a, on, a flip on a flip phone. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about sexting on a flip phone. <laughs> no. Yeah, what's the emojis even like? I don't think they have they any. Exist. How do you express yourself? <laughs> How do you get your full point across without the range of emotion that emojis provide? I don't know. Also, if I remember, like flip phones, maybe uh, like you'd send something and like half of the text is missing, and it's just. <laughs> I don't know. This this seems like you know what this guy. Yeah, he he belongs in prison just for that. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> I know. Like as much as like, I mean, I can understand like the benefits of being a sugar baby. Just the dealing of like having to deal with like a seventy eight year old and like from a technological level, I think would send me to pieces. I'd be like, <laughs> I glued you for <laughs> being a sugar baby. I'm like, I'm so sorry, honey. I cannot teach you. I cannot teach you how to use Spotify. You just click on the song. Yeah. Just click on it. That's it. Yeah. So, you know, over the next several years, you know, he builds up Girardi Keys because he has a reputation. You know, every 
every big case comes to him. And through this, he also just becomes like a huge, he's a huge donor to a lot of uh, Democrat candidates. And he becomes huge in the political arena, which is really buying him a lot of power in California. I mean, he said in his uh, memoir, he wrote a memoir about how they would meet at this like, you know, restaurant, this behind closed door situation, and they would decide who to put a point on benches and around Ah. California. And he would just call up governors and, you know, make requests. And basically, he became known as the guy you go to if you want to get appointed to positions or if you want to get into office. Like, Tom Girardi is the person you talk to. Yeah. You know that this is what this is what people accuse like shithole countries of. You know what I mean? Like, this is the kind of like shitty corruption, like money stuff that like is like an emblem of like non-functioning governments and like the fucked up part of the justice system. So I hate that it's so intertwined with money and celebrity. And he's clearly kind of becoming that person. I don't like that for him. Bad boy. And so because he was able to essentially buy himself protection, you know, he's friends with the chief of police. He's friends with the governor. Like he has built this protection. That is really when you get to the core of it is how he was able to continue this fraud basically for so long because there had been suits against him apparently since the 80s. But essentially what happened with like a lot of these newer cases is when you, you know, receive a settlement, you know, you've won a settlement or settled with a, for a client on a specific amount. Every attorney, the first thing that they do is they have to put that settlement money into like a trust, basically. It's like the settlement, you know, fund. And it is not to be touched. That is like attorney 101. Like you will be disbarred if you ever touch money in that settlement trust. Mm. And essentially what he was doing was he was touching the money in the settlement trust. But like, you're supposed to take an accounting of what's in there. The attorneys do get their fees from that once the accounting has been done. And then it's doled out to the victims, the clients, you know, after that accounting has been done. But essentially he was borrowing and using that money from the fund, the settlement, to operate his life, to operate his firm. And it wasn't going to the clients. And the lenders come in because then he has to, he spent that money. So he what? He has to then go to lenders to get money to like pay off more settlements that are like, past due? Is that kind of? Yeah. So I mean, like, my understanding of these lenders is like, these are the type of lenders that you use when you're in financial trouble. And so, you know, he was borrowing from these lenders saying, look, I have these huge settlements coming in, I can secure it with that money, they would let him borrow the money. But he was doing that to multiple lenders. Like, you know, if you have an asset, you can only promise it to one place. It sounded like he was like, promising it to multiple places. But He was getting this money from the lenders and settlements weren't going out. So it was he had been a co-counsel with this attorney, Jay Edelson, in Chicago. And Jay Edelson had been representing one of the Line Air clients. So this was a, a, a Boeing 737 Max Line Air crash in indonesia oh wow okay there it was that that he was he was representing some people you know all everyone had different you know attorneys and so tom had been working with this attorney in chicago they had 
settled on a case, but Edelson's clients weren't getting paid. Like they had agreed that the money would go into, I guess, Tom's settlement fund. And so Edelson had kept requesting, where's our funds for our clients? Where's our funds? And Tom kept pushing it off and Edelson had enough. And that's when he sued. And that was the impetus to sort of this unraveling because once he sued and the federal judge looked into it, the judge then froze Girardi's assets. And he cited that he had misappropriated at least $2 million of the client's funds. Of these, again, this is these are air crash victims. These are yeah. uh, widows and orphans, okay, that yeah. he had stolen money from. Like, they're in Indonesia. He's over here just spending their money. there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. And of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media. Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere and suddenly you're panic sweating and laughing at the same time? Don't, don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people. And we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Podcrush are out now, wherever you get your podcasts. So it was that filing in December that really sparked this unraveling. And eventually, uh, I think in March of 2021, Tom gets disbarred. Because yeah. once again, once they open up this case and realize how bad it is, um, he gets disbarred and then he is diagnosed with Alzheimer's soon after he's disbarred, I believe. And he was placed into a conservatorship. So right now where Tom is, is he's in a home mm. and so he can't really, there's a possibility we'll never get like criminal charges or any yeah. of those things because he's incapacitated. But the only person kind of left now to answer is unfortunately Erica Jane. Yeah. Because a lot of people believe he was doing this to support her lifestyle and that he was trying to keep up with like, you know, this younger woman that he wanted to still like impress and do all these things for, you know, and they talk about in the Real Housewives, you know, having, you know, two jets and, um, you know, this huge Pasadena, you know, mansion and, and, and other properties that she said she wasn't even aware that they owned like the address. She didn't even know the addresses of some. And she at one point wanted to start this music career, which he obviously funded. And, you know, 
Erica's music career is, I don't know, for some reason, it's like the funniest part of it to me is because she ended up getting managed by Jerry Heller. Now, Jerry Heller was the manager of NWA, the rap group NWA. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Which is crazy to me. Yeah. (laughs) This whole like intersection of celebrity and fraud is is really interesting to me. Because if you really think about it, like this man is representing people who are victimized by big corporations and rich people. And then he goes and turns around and basically becomes like this super wealthy kind of corporation and rich man that then also victimizes them. And that's why I think it's just so appalling about the airplanes and Erica Jane lifestyle in general is that it's so counterbalanced or like the reason she even has it in the first place is not even that, you know, yes, of course, stealing, but even in the first place, what had to happen in order for them to have money is so fucked up. Yeah. I almost, I almost be like, shut the fuck up about your money. Like, what is so difficult about being a quiet, wealthy person? It's too much. They can't. They really can't. And it, it especially makes no sense when you are representing the little guy, you know? Like, yes, yes we know that you're going to make a lot of money as an attorney, but, like, to go on a reality show and, like, brag about it... That just is like never a good look. I don't care if you are like on the most up and up attorney out there. Like, don't brag about it. Yeah. But um, yeah, so she was like, you know, she starts this music career. You know, there was like funny stories about how Tom would be at these like, you know, dinner with like, you know, stuffy legal professions. And he would put on Erica's video and she'd be like, you oh, know, God, writhing that. around in this video and people are just like, and, you know, he's just over there, like very proud of his like, you know, arm candy. And honestly, like- I mean, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful for a man to love you like that, honey, to show your fucking sexy music video at like a fancy judges political fundraiser. I mean, find you a man that'll do all that for you, you know? Yeah. So, you know, and so. People are like, you know, were you trying to keep up, you know, because when the music career launched, everyone says it was it was not a moneymaker. And I I randomly came across this. (laughs) Not randomly. I was doing a deep dive. Let's be real. I was (laughs) was you (laughs) you tried to casually insert yourself there. You are not a casual person about the housewives, Kiki. But I discovered this blog by this guy, Gary Ballin, who's like in the music industry. And so Gary, I discover, is jerry heller's cousin and so he just keeps this blog of like different things that are happening in his life and there happened to be an entry about erica jane about how like in 2008 his cousin jerry came and was like hey would you be like a road manager for this new act i got erica jane and you know he thought it was really weird because it wasn't like the typical acts that he had been working on and it was Mm. like very strange this blog entry is very interesting but one thing that stood out to me was Gary uh, discusses how they traveled first class, stayed at very high end hotels. Everyone was paid very well by Erica's husband, Tom Girardi. And then it also goes on to say that we would travel first class all over the country to do a 15 minute show that we didn't get paid for. Bizarre, but fun. (laughs) 
So you know, it reminds me of, of like you know how like Rebecca Black got her own music video when she was thirteen years old, and yeah. her parents paid for it. Like this is what this it feels like a Sweet Sixteen episode where her daddy is Tom Girardi, and her daddy's paying for a very fancy Sweet Sixteen like party. You know, yeah. except for for her, it's a tour of America playing yeah. her music. But oh lord. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's where people are really roping in this Erica Jane because they're like, did this money, was he stealing this money to support your life? But again, if he was, was that her fault or was, no, if he was doing it, yeah. that was like he was doing it. And that's that's his own damn fault. Yeah. But if if it's discovered that that money was used for like maybe buying these you know three hundred thousand dollar rings. Well, then you also got to turn the ring back over, you know? I think the focus of it being so much on her is because of that, is because it all feels so superfluous in comparison to these really deep problems that people are having on the other end of it. I think it plays into a lot of like class issues. It plays into a lot of race issues and it feels just the fucking ickiest, you know? It's like... Watching somebody be so high. I can't even imagine what victims must have felt like watching her on television. I don't know how you could stomach it. It would be so painful, you know? Yeah. yeah. So we're going to talk today to Kimberly Archie, who worked for Tom for seven years. And when her best friend's son was in a PG&E explosion, Kim stepped in and... Um, suggested Tom Girardi to her friend in order to get the settlement. And it was Kim who then ended up having to sort of play spy when she realized that uh, things in Tom's law firm weren't exactly what they appeared to be. We're going to talk to her about that. We're going to talk to her about, you know, just what was happening in the uh, Girardi Keys law firm. You know, it was a really extravagant place to work. So we're going to get into it. Kimberly, um, I'm so glad to have you here today. I mean, I remember seeing you in the documentary, The Housewife and the Hustler. And I think this was back in June when it came out. And I remember thinking, find you a bestie like Kimberly Archie, because like what you were willing and what you are have been willing to do to get justice for your best friend's family, like literally had me in tears. Now, you were pivotal in this documentary because you have worked with Tom. Now, I know that you were working with him for 10 years, but you worked directly with him for seven years. And that came about because he reached out to you. Can you explain a little bit about that? Well, um, I met him because of the Rogomez case. So I knew lawyers and I worked with folks who worked with him prior to Kathy's case. And, and so, um, once I met him and then I got to know him and some of the other people at Girardi Keys because I'm helping my best friend with her big crisis. So, um, through that process, uh, I got to know him and other people there. And the whole reason I had ever reached out to Masri and Vidido, which is the law firm in the Aaron Brockovich movie, was because I wanted to um, get them involved in going after companies in the sports industry that were holding back the rights of athletes from kids to the pros. And so where I finally got to work with Tom 
was on the NFL case. And even when I started working on it, I worked indirectly, you know, with him. It was it took three years before I worked with him directly. Got it. And so, you know, you mentioned the Ragomez case, you know, again, for those not familiar, if you aren't familiar, I would suggest watching this documentary. It really explains a lot of it. But your best friend, Kathy, her son was in the um, PG&E explosion, I think, in 2010. Right. Um, that ended up killing his girlfriend and severely um, injuring him. Um, and there was, you know, I think eight people died and then 60 yes. people were in, you know, injured in this. Now, was uh, Tom Girardi only like was... Joe, his client only, or did he have other clients who were part of this explosion? No, you know, he, the Ragomezes were Tom's really only client. I believe the neighbor maybe was the client um, as well. But as far as like the eight wrongful deaths and, and the families that lost their homes, the, the San Bruno families really decided to kind of spread out the lawyering. And none of the major victims went with the same law firm, um, which looking back seemed really smart and, and good for the victims that there were a number of big firms involved. And, and, and later on, one of those firms actually had made comments to a reporter. And when the Ragomezes uh, decided to sue Tom, uh, I finally heard the story that there were like rumors, you know, when the Ragomezes picked Tom among attorneys. Oh, wow. Not to us. Not to the public, so that you know the victims wouldn't know to not do it. It was it was said to the reporter, and even he said that when he heard it at the time, he thought, "Oh, lawyers are just bickering, or you know, hating on each other, whatever." He you know took it a little bit with a grain of salt, which that's what a lot of us did when we first heard you know the whispers about Tom. Yeah, and like. To know there were rumors, I mean, circulating, I mean, I'm assuming this, you know, all started maybe 2010, 2011 is maybe when they were starting to get lawyers. So the fact that that was already rumors on him. Wow. So, I mean, in this documentary, you know, it seems like as we're going through, you know, Joe's case, it seems like, you know, Tom had acted like he was sort of hand holding him. He really wanted to take care of this young man is sort of like how he kept, you know, presenting it. And then all of a sudden, he's like, we have a settlement. And it didn't seem like he had really discussed it much with the family, that sort of thing. But again, there was no reason to not trust Tom. I mean, like, this is a man, you know, I'm reading his history. He has settled before this two other PG&E cases. Of course, if he tells you he's got a settlement, well, I, I feel like I'd probably just be like, okay, yeah, this sounds right. Why, why wouldn't you trust it? And they settle the case. And then it sounds like it just is a series of like, well, we want to get you paid, but we want to protect you. So let's put this money in a trust for you. Because I've seen so many young men who've, you know, received settlements and they lose their money. And so the money was put in a trust. And it feels like that's where this sort of, this is when the Ponzi scheme sort of stuff starts happening. So first of all, you know, um, I'm not sure Ponzi scheme for this part of the Girardi fraud is the proper term. Um, You know, it it was just fraud. It was a fraudulent transfer. I mean, uh, you know, he used uh, his position of authority um, to manipulate a situation and steal money from his clients. I mean, it's really that simple. And 
I don't think that Tom would be in the situation he's in right now or people would know what they know or we would be where we are now if it wasn't for Joe's mom, Kathy. I mean, it's her, it was her persistence even to me saying like, even when I kept saying, well, who are you going to go to? What, what are we going to do about it if we get the evidence? Like, where will we go? She was the one that was like, we'll figure it out because <laughs> like, we're not going <laughs> to know this and do nothing about it. Okay. I mean, you know, and when you think about how powerful Tom, you know, was and still probably is to some degree, you know, there's a real reason why it seemed really scary to do something about it, even if, you know, we could get uh, the evidence. And what most people don't know, and Tom admits that he could no longer borrow money from the legal lenders because of the Ragomez case. So people have to realize that they're domino number one. Then you have coming down the pike, you have uh, Tom's deposition is another domino. Then you have uh, Erica filing for divorce and that set off Edelson. See that chain of events? You know, so, and I'd probably throw COVID in there too. I mean, you know, COVID Mm -hmm. slowing everything down probably added to the pressure of him not being able to rob Peter to pay Paul and keep, keep the scam going. Hi, I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. And each week we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness. So get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another. And we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. Two young fathers are shot to death outside an iconic Utah restaurant. I said, your dad has been hurt really bad. The grief was disorienting for those left behind until one choice changed everything. I just remember writing this letter and it wasn't me writing it. Can a personal decision shape generations? We're all falling for this guy's trick. I'm Amy Donaldson. Season two of The Letter, Ripple Effect, is available now. Follow us at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As this is unfolding for you in real time, I'm assuming, are you watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills while this is happening? So, okay. So let me, I'm not a TV watcher. I hope everyone doesn't hate me for that. Only because I worked a lot. I used to watch TV and I was a limited TV person. Okay, so now, since I watched my very first episode doing the Hulu filming, they had me and Kathy watch Erica's first episode, and I've been in therapy ever since. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was, you know, it was, I just, it's still so, I couldn't get over it. Like, 
It was unbelievable to me. So I did watch this season. Okay. And the reunions. And yeah, I I mean, it, unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, horrible, horrible acting by Erica. She's totally being coached. Uh, it's obvious what their um, narrative that they tried to create. And it didn't, you know, it hasn't gone so well for them. And it was, it was horrible advice. Like, I, I can't believe they're letting Tom orchestrate Erica's defense when he got her in this place in the first place. That's why she's not mad at him, because he's still the one trying to help get her out. So, yeah. So for those who, again, maybe aren't familiar with the case, you know, obviously Erica Jane, she's been married to Tom for 20 years. And she has this, you know, music career that, you know, has been funded by the time her whole life has been. (laughs) That's kind of music career. Okay. Well, (laughs) hey, I was listening to some of those songs. (laughs) And, you know, she's had, you know, she talks about on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills that her glam team costs $40,000 a month. All of these things, which, you know, I'm glad you weren't watching it in real time because I think that would have like set me like my head would have exploded. But but yeah, like, yeah, these things are happening. And she is now being accused because, again, this is the part that like is still being worked out is like supposedly there was a $20 million loan made from Girardi Keys uh. to EJ Global LLC. And people are trying to say, can that I that clarify money... that? Okay. Can I clarify that? Yes, please do. Okay. Because look, I think Eric is a total asshole. <laughs> okay. I mean, I just do. She is. She's ridiculous. I mean, she's handled this horribly. There's no other way to say it. However, um, you know, to claim that some sugar baby married some older dude charged shit on her Amex bill that was his personal Amex, not the company's, even though there's no difference because Girardi Keys was not a corporation. It was a sole proprietorship and belonged to Tom. So there's no separation anyway. Okay. But let's just talk about facts. It was his Amex bill that she had her own name on. And so like 18 million of that that they're discussing or somewhere in that range over 14 years was her just charging shit on her Amex bill. So you're telling it. So not you, but meaning the the trustee who tried to file this, you know, really what was just salacious headline chasing um, and saying like, oh, she charged stuff on her Amex bill. So that would mean every sugar baby in L.A. whose sugar daddy goes bankrupt they have to pay back their Amex bill. Okay. That's the argument. Okay. So, so I'm just saying, so making it that plain, I'll, I'll even leave it out there. If, if, you know, uh, future lawyers want to be lawyers, play a lawyer on TV, uh, you know, or lawyers themselves want to say like, Hey, yeah, all sugar babies would now have to pay their Amex bill. I mean, let me hear your argument, but that's ultimately what had happened now. Okay. Erica was married to Tom So she owes the debt just like Tom owes the debt. So if it's a hundred million, she owes it. If it's 10 million, she owes it. Whatever she charged on her Amex bill or whatever things that, you know, um, they were claiming in this 20 million. The issues really with that money is that they claimed it as a loan on their taxes. Okay. So that could be problematic for them, but that's not necessarily an issue of, you're going to get money from Erica Jane. And how are you going to get, you know, blood out of a turnip? I mean, 
there's a lot more money in the cases that were sitting on the books at Girardi Keys than there ever will be, you know, from, you know, from Erica Jane. And if there's a way to extrapolate money from her, these shark lawyers will suck the blood out of, a, you know, anything. So it, if it's possible, they'll hunt her down until they can get it. And, you know, because I remember, you know, she never signed a prenup. And of course, at the time, she probably thought that was the best thing for her. Now it feels like, damn, you should have had a prenup because because you don't, you are not protected against any of this. And, you know, I'm glad you broke that down and explained it because you're right. Like, if I was a sugar baby and I was just charging up stuff on my Amex, I dare someone to try to tell me that they loan me money afterwards. Absolutely not. So she was dumb to sign those taxes. I mean, and she also made comments on the show like it's our money because I know because I signed the taxes. So you admitted on the show that you're fully aware of what's going on. So, you know, she's made that tough on herself to try to backtrack later that she was oblivious and knew nothing because she put herself out there to being an expert about her taxes. So like when you see, you know, I know I, I have to understand how hard it would be to watch Erica on the screen. And, you know, <laughs> if I hadn't gotten my $100,000 settlement for something that happened to me 10 years ago, I'd be pissed off. <laughs> Slightly. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, do we want to just keep seeing her work? I mean, I know we saw she did an IG post the other day that seemed to allude that maybe she was going to get back on stage with her singing. You know, do we want to see this? Because at least we know if she's working, well, then we have a judgment or we have a way to go after revenue if we get a judgment. Look, I'm going to say something probably fairly unpopular right now. Uh, it's kind of disgusting, though, on the flip side of the coin. You know, so here Erica has been not the greatest in her dealing with what's happened in acknowledging the victims and seeming like she cares at all, but she's always been kind of a cold fish. So that's not really, you know, new behavior. However, why are women blamed for men's crimes and shit all the time? Like, come on. Like she, her crime is being classless and egregious. Her crime is being rude as fuck to the victims. Her crimes are maybe, some tax stuff because she listened to her sugar daddy. But did she steal from the victims herself? Did she know at some point? I mean, maybe per se. And that also makes her bad that she didn't do anything about it. But also, what did I say earlier? I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. So I find it a little bit distasteful that she's getting blamed. And I also think it um, takes the focus off what really matters, which is the victims and who really did it. So it's like everyone's looking at this shiny, famous thing over here, and they're not looking at who helped Tom do this. The system, the people that were close to him, like his, the guy who ran the books, he pled the fifth already. Nobody's really that interested in that Wait, dude. wait, wait, wait. Oh, Can we rewind why? a little bit? Wait, who's the guy who ran the books and when did he plead the fifth? So his name is Chris Camone, and he was a bookkeeper guy. He's not even a CPA, but he had millions of dollars in properties. He just sold like a $3 million house in Encino recently, Um, has all kinds of businesses, and he pled the fifth probably like six months ago. Oh, my God. So, you know, nobody talks about that guy at all. We're so obsessed with Erica, which I get it, because she's on a show, and the show's very popular, and there's this entire fan base built in. 
and all the media. So that's why I kept thinking like Ronald Richards was hired just to like fight with Erica on Twitter every day. So everyone would forget about the real problems, which is who let Tom do this and who did he harm? How are we making them whole and how are we not going to let this happen again? So, you know, the show is about apologies. I mean, I think it's clear (laughs) there's a lot of apologies that need to be made, you know, from everyone, Tom, people who were working with Tom on this whole thing. Um, Obviously, Erica, her behavior towards this. I am curious, though, Kimberly, do you think, based on what you've said, is there a possibility that we could owe Erica Jane an apology one day? I mean, it's possible, you know, by giving her too much responsibility. I mean, this is what I mean. Like, it's society is so good at, you know, putting it on the wife or the female, uh, something, a crime that their husband or spouse or significant other has, has done. I mean, she didn't actually commit the crime of taking the money from clients. She's not an attorney. She didn't work at the law firm, even though she sat down there the first 10 years they were married and camped out so everyone would know who she was. Um, You know, ballsy move on her part, but it didn't make her a lawyer. I mean, if you could just, you know, be around lawyers and become a lawyer, you know, everyone would do it. It's so much harder than that. Yeah, she would chill in her old track suits, you know, like back in the day and just sit there. I don't know. I wasn't around. I I just heard about it. And I, I thought it was just really interesting. Like it's just really ballsy because, you know, a law firm so conservative. I mean, I don't fit in there. Like I didn't have an office. I didn't want to sit at the law firm. I had an office at Mazarin did it own. I never went in there and they'd be like, why? Yeah. It's so quiet. Like I'm loud. Everybody'd be like, shh. (laughs) Why? Like, why do we got to be so quiet all the time? It's so boring in here. Like, I I don't know why she'd want to sit down there for 10 years every day. Uh, that it was mind blowing to me to, to hear people tell me those early stories. I'm like, why? But I guess she wanted people to know that she was here to stay or she's the new wife. She's the new first lady of law. Well, you know, Tom was like the golden boy of L.A. So, you know, he was her trophy. I mean, in a sense. I mean, he was a celebrity when they got together. So, um, you know, something new unfolds in this case. Um, sort of, it seems like every week. So um, I know we'll be doing like, uh, we'll get back to this. We'll have to do like a follow-up in the future for sure. But um, I'm excited to hear more about what goes on with the new revelations you have. And obviously if this is a path to the victims getting some money, this is like what I think everyone ultimately just wants from this situation, this, this circus that's happening. But Kimberly, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for talking about the victims. And hopefully um, in the future, we can continue talking about um, them and, and platforming their stories. Okay, and now it's time for my favorite segment that we do every episode, Sorry Not Sorry, where we, um, you know, ask someone to apologize to us for something horrible that they did, or we apologize to someone. Kiki, who do you have this week? You know, I was originally going to tell you another bathroom story, but I might save that one. (laughs) Yeah. Because I woke up this morning and I realized, you know who I owe an apology to? Taylor Swift. 
And look, I'm not a Swifty, but I do very much enjoy a lot of Taylor Swift songs. She makes some bops. And, you know, she's re-releasing all of these albums. And I didn't really put two and two together. I don't know why. Maybe because I'm not a Swifty. I wasn't paying attention because I was like, wait, why is she re-releasing all these albums? Oh, she's re-releasing these albums because of that whole kerfuffle she had with Scooter Braun, where he basically took all of her masters and sold them. Yeah. And so now she has no ownership of them. And that's why all of her songs have parentheses, Taylor's version after them. And I was like, hell yeah. Okay. Why did I not stream? So that's why I'm apologizing to Taylor Swift for not streaming her version um, the day it came out. Because regardless of whether I want to be a Swifty, I want to support that money going into the artist's pocket. Absolutely. So I apologize, Taylor, for not streaming, but I'm going to stream every single Taylor version song for every album that is re-released so that you get all of this money and those people have a worthless portfolio of those old masters. And I hope everyone removes them from their liked. Uh, I mean, I'll say, I'll say, you know, Taylor re-recording her album, releasing it. Britney is free. Adele is releasing an album. Really, truly, finally, uh, blonde white women are getting their moment. Driving. <laughs> finally. Driving. Yes, congrats. Thank God. It's congrats. been long, a long awaited. Yeah, yeah, well, well deserved. Congrats to all of you ladies. Oh. Uh, Oha, who do you have this week? Well, I would like to. Um, mainly apologize it's always apologizing huh but i (laughs) (laughs) i definitely had a public breakdown at a at a bowling alley this weekend so fully cried in front of a group of strangers at a bowling alley called avondale bowl in chicago because i was already having a very emotional day and then we arrived and i realized that my partner had not made reservations to bowl so we were had to wait for two and a half hours oh before we actually even got to bowl at all no on an already very logistically complicated day so i took a full two 25 minute bathroom breaks where i just bawled in the bathroom you guys i was i had a very long day i I was like up in adam since like 4 a.m and uh this was a a sort of event that i was expected to be at this bowling this grand bowling situation and so you know when you're a kid and you think relationships are very simple (laughs) and if you see a woman crying in public you're like oh honey everything's fine stop like you don't need to be doing this why are relationships so dramatic and then you get into a relationship as an adult and you're like oh my god this is what (laughs) things are so much more complicated you know so i'm sorry yeah but wait who is this a so are are you apologizing to someone or do you want an apology from your partner or Uh, you know it's comp i think i just want to tell you guys the story i think i just wanted you guys to know because you're my friends are you just apologizing to kids who probably were there and had to learn what is it to be like to be an adult correct yeah. i'm so sorry that i showed you a glimpse into how crazy you can get when yeah. you're older. are you apologizing to us for not paying the copay for being your therapist that's exactly right <laughs> yeah exactly and, right. Uh, just so everyone at home knows that oha does these things every week just to create content for you so please be grateful right. uh, i live my life in service of this podcast exactly and yeah just fucking up every week just to apologize so 
<laughs> well, Mahanid, what uh, neighbor did you uh, do something? <laughs> did you accost? Uh, <laughs> no neighbors this week. Cause I, uh, so this weekend I was in St. Louis, Missouri for a comedy festival. The comedy festival was fantastic. But who I want to demand an apology from is our uh, Uber driver from the airport. Because the way he painted St. Louis to us was that it was one of the best cities, not only in America, but anywhere, to be honest. It Possibly was, the world. Okay. Wow. Yeah, he said he That's said that uh, the beer was voted number one in the States, uh, that the pizza is amazing. He told us people who came from New York City that St. Louis has the best little Italy. And I'm just like, I don't think you have Italians <laughs> here, but Yeah. I and <laughs> after spending two days in St. Louis, I have never seen a city that is just a collection of roads. <laughs> I don't think it has a middle. You know, it's just it's just roads that lead to other roads and then the hotel we stayed in. I if you ask me to describe places I do not know. I did not see a place there except the arch. We went to the arch. I was going to say there's an arch there. Yeah, okay. we went to the arch there and uh, they tried to get us to pay money to get like to the top of the arch because you can take a tram into it. And then we looked at the view and I was like I do not want to see this from above. <laughs> So the city of St. Louis, you owe me an apology. I'll go back there if you have me, because again, I'll do anything for money. But your city sucks. I'm sorry. I'm Sorry is a Lemonada Media original. The show is produced by Alex McCohen. Supervising producer is Chrissy Pease. Our executive producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax and Jessica Cordova-Kramer. Our mix is by Kat Yor, and theme music was composed by Xander Singh. If you like this show, please rate and review. And please don't cancel us. You can find out more about our show at Lemonada Media on all social platforms or follow us on Instagram at I'm sorry underscore podcast. We'll be back next week. And until then, be nice, play fair and always say I'm sorry. Thanks for listening. Feeling decision fatigue about what to make for dinner? We get it. I'm Jane Black. And I'm Liz Dunn. We're veteran food journalists, and as parents ourselves, we know how hard it can be to feed your family. That's why we created Pressure Cooker, a podcast that offers practical strategies for navigating the marketing madness and cultural expectations around mealtime. Each week, we'll check in with the experts. From social media diet trends to baby-led weaning and AI meal planning, we have all your food-related questions covered. Listen to Pressure Cooker wherever you get your podcasts. Last Day is a show about the moments that change us. I just don't think I will ever get used to this. I'm Stephanie Whittles-Wax, and I have had one of these moments. We all have. So let's unpack the chaos that is our human existence together. I don't believe things happen for a reason. I don't believe the universe has a plan. Each week, I sit down with a new guest to explore happy, sad stories of transformation. It's leaning far, far into the pain. That's what it is. Listen to Last Day wherever you get your podcasts.